load the plates and lift the weights And we are mates and weights are great And as of late we pontificate about the weights And make a podcast! Sumo is cheating! This is Weekly Weights with Alex and Will Welcome to... <laughs> it was you who fucked up this yeah, time I never... Oh, I fuck up all the time Welcome to Weekly Weights it's episode 43. I'm Will Berkman. I'm Alex Hayes. Um, that actually reminds me of the tongue twister that my parents used to make me do when I was younger. I used Because I did actually have my R's and my W's mixed up quite a lot. Um, one of those. Yeah, so I'd say they made me say the rude red robber ran around the ragged rocks. So I'd say the word red wobble wham wound the wagged walks. Will Workman. Will Workman. My name yeah, is Will, Real, Real Workman. Yeah, Will Berkman. Um... Anyway, it's it's weekly rates. Oh, <laughs> I'm Will. Alex is here. Today we're talking about things that we've learnt from each other. This one's taken about a month to plan because we both we both racked our brains thinking of enough stuff to fill an episode. <laughs> yeah, this is actually throwing some red meat to the fans who love it when we do a bit of a love in. Remember in the Q and A, how many people were asking how what we love about each other, you know. And what we hate about each other, but we, we give you that all the time. Anyway, today it's things we've learned from each other. Um, short episode, in yeah. and out, five minutes. Yeah, this might be, yeah, this might be 15 minutes. <laughs> um, do you want to take it in turns? Yeah, I'll go first. Okay. This okay. is actually exactly like giving gifts at Christmas where you both, you want to get it out of the way so you can end on a gift, but you don't have much good ammo in your arsenal, if you're me, so you like, you give one good gift and then you're fucked. You know? Yeah, one good gift and then it's just like <laughs> it's just straight downhill from just there. Backhanded compliments. Yeah, I gave dad a rock one year. Literally stole it from somebody's garden when I was driving home from Did the you gym. say Merry Christmas Dad, you rock? I didn't. Uh, that's pretty good. This <laughs> 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 has gone off the rails. Alright. Alright, so number one thing that I've learned from Will was how much I don't know. So I guess like you, and you can obviously tell when you listen to this podcast that Will is very well-read, very learned, and he knows a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff. And when it comes to training and nutrition and everything like that, I always used to think that I knew a lot and I didn't take other people's opinion in very well and I was quite closed-minded and that kind of thing. Um, and Will taught me that, firstly, I don't know anything and I need to go and learn more. And secondly, I need to be... Well, actually, that's my second point, so I'll get to that later. But yeah, I need to learn. Needed to learn more. Needed to broaden my base of knowledge and sort of get the basics right before kind of specialising in stuff. What's funny is, like, that's very flattering. I should say. Um, what's funny is I probably say I don't know more, particularly to my clients, which must frustrate them than most people. Yeah, and like I'm, I'm becoming more and more like that, and I think that's a good trait to have as a coach because like we don't know everything. And we're willing to admit that, but we're also willing to find out. So, you know, if, if you had a client come and ask you something about training and you didn't know the answer, you would then add that to your list of stuff to learn. Yeah, it's a bit of... And yeah, that's exactly true. And it also, if you're curious, it prompts you to learn. Because every time, like, every time I discover somebody who knows a whole lot more than me about certain things... You know, for example, um, Jamie, when we were talking last week mm. about anatomy, that sort of prompts you to reevaluate the things that you've sort of just assumed to be true and the practices that you that you undertake and all those things and it I don't know it makes you or it makes me anyway more appreciative of my hobby which is like 
powerlifting's my hobby but in general sort of you know lifting and physical culture and stuff is a hobby to me and the more i learn about it the more interesting it is to me yeah and also i think the more you learn the more you learn stuff the more you're willing to say you don't know something yeah well because it highlights the lack of your knowledge like if you it's the classic sort of dunning-kruger effect yep. style of thing where you know yeah um everyone knows the dunning-kruger effect if the, you don't the old dk <laughs> yeah Man, imagine the irony of like a psychologist or a psychology student who thought they were the shit and didn't know what the Dunning-Kruger effect is. First year, first class. Yeah. I did psychology for a year. Wasn't much good at it. Um, anyway, is that all you got to say on that? Um, You're yes. going pretty strong on the compliments, so if you want to keep No, going. that's it, man. I, I think I think that's enough of the episode. <laughs> You're out of steam. I'm done. I've got yeah. one point and that's it. Oh, man. Um, if anybody can hear that, there's a man operating a chainsaw just outside me doing some hedge trimming at Casa de Burke today unfortunately um the work is here working on the house <laughs> yeah <laughs> um okay well that's very nice on a um not not a similar note necessarily but the biggest thing I think I've learned from Alex um in terms of coaching is to do less um we were joking about this this morning um bringing up Kunu from <laughs> from forgetting Sarah Marshall, um, but I have the luxury of observing Alex coaching people and coaching his squad quite a lot, um, and this is actually something that's come up in discussion between me and other coaches like JP as well. Um, one thing Alex does quite well is he he can pick the one or two things he wants to work on with somebody at a time, even though obviously he's cognizant of the large number of errors that people make but he picks one or two things at a time to work on he cues them consistently um like using the same terms the same simple explanation and he gives feedback just directed at those couple of things and then he uses he uses sort of the other coaching tools at his disposal to get the lifter to actually have a sense of what is correct and probably a trap that i've fallen into maybe because you know i'm relatively well read and things a trap i've fallen into often is to try and convey to somebody a lot of information or you know the reasons say they may be doing things wrong in too much depth and all that does is sort of confuse people when in reality if you just pick one or two things to cue say hey i'm looking for you to do x or y give somebody you know exercises and loads and all of that that allow them to practice it and then just cue that consistently they often start to actually feel the difference of what's good and what's bad without a huge amount of sort of academics underpinning it what do you think yeah i think um with regards to that it's almost like you look at the problem and you find the thing that is going to help the most Mm. and then you try and bring that thing up because you know maybe the thing that's the the worst like the the biggest problem that they have and yeah. then you try to bring that up so for someone it might be uh might be like their foot pressure their feet collapsing and their knees collapsing collapsing so then you would you know cue something to do do with foot pressure and creating an arch in your foot or grabbing the floor or whatever mm. that might be your focus and then once that is better the squat starts to look better but then you can focus on the next problem and yeah. then the next problem a related skill um, that I think you're really good at as well is picking the sort of common etiology. So the thing that actually explains the variety of issues you see. So foot pressure is a really good example when you squat. Um, sometimes you'll see somebody who, whatever it is, as they hit the hole, they collapse. 
um, you know, their upper back goes to shit and then their knees shoot back as they start standing up and all these things, you see that and go, wow, there's like 10 things wrong in this squat and their foot pressure's bad. And then you can tidy up one and the other ones start to improve because it's sort of, it is the weak link in the chain that's causing all those other errors. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, being able to identify, you know, what is what ties together these few problems and therefore what's most important to address is a skill I really, really had to learn um, in coaching, which is one that I think you do very well. And another thing that I, I mentioned when I was starting this point um, was, yeah, using the other the other tools you have as a coach to get people better at lifting rather than just talking at them. And one of the best ones is good movement selection. I'll get onto this in my, um, I think it's my second point. Yeah, it's my second point for you. But one of the things that you do well and that you actually sort of highlighted in my mind as important was that you can use exercises to sort of drill certain technical skills really well. And so if you pick, you know, if you pick an exercise that highlights to somebody you know what their safe foot pressure again is like in the squat and where they're making errors whether it's like a tempo squat or a pin squat or something you can start to engender in them that that idea of what's good what's bad you mm-hmm. know and then you don't have to spend all your time explaining to them what it feels like because they actually start to feel it mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so yeah that was that was my main one is do do a little bit less say a little bit less but let them get the skills of figuring out what's good and bad yeah it's not going to be a perfect picture straight away no. So it's just a matter of highlighting the, the right areas and then building on it. Yeah. Yeah. Good areas. Cool. Areas. Bowling shame. <laughs> I know nothing about cricket, eh? I think that's probably come up on the podcast before. Did, I knew did, about Stewie McGill. Did you call, Dar- did you call Darren Lehman Daryl the other day? Was that you? I did, because I was thinking Daryl Lee. The This is the former fat kid coming out. Do you remember Daryl Lee? Yeah, the chocolate, chocolate place? And yeah, they also um, made the awesome licorice. Yeah, and speaking of cricket, that's Shane Lee's nickname. Daryl. Well, I would never have known and that. And Brett Lee was Bing, Bing Lee, and Shane Lee. And <laughs> oh, is that why he was Bing? Up? Yeah, Bing Lee. No, oh, I honestly thought that had something to do with what's it called when you bowl a ball that's just like a it's a beamer. A beamer. Take, yeah, right. I thought that was some type of play on that because he just spray him. Sometimes he, he definitely did spray him. All right, um, we're way off topic. What's the next <laughs> good thing about me? <laughs> so I thought of this one in my second week of thinking, <laughs> non-stop thinking. Um, now nah, you've definitely taught me to be more open-minded when discussing things with people who have different opinions to me. Um, like I mentioned previously, um, I would come across quite close-minded and I wouldn't take in other people's opinions if they were different to my own. And I guess part of that is is on the first point, is that I didn't know everything, so I wasn't able to see what they were able to see. But now... I've seen how much you know and how much you're willing to learn from others. Even if they don't know as much as you do, you're still willing to to listen and see maybe if you can take something out from what they're saying. Um, and this goes this like goes further, and it um, kind of relates to something that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago in the eight ways to be a better lifter, talking about the different iron sports and the different disciplines. Um, you're able to take stuff from bodybuilders from gymnastics from other health practitioners um that i wouldn't have been able to in the past and you've kind of given me an appreciation for stuff outside of powerlifting that can help powerlifting um and a, a good example of this is um when we're at fitness first and there was a lot of trainers who were you know very very fundamentally different to the way that we coach people 
um, you know, people who have background in Czech or in Polygon or whatever. And you were able to sort of highlight some things that they were doing that you could then use um, to help people with completely different goals. So I guess it's kind of a, a an understanding of like, you know, everyone has something that can help. Yeah, it's the... It's a bit like the, um, you know, there's no bad exercises, there's just good and bad applications thing. And I think some, or something that I sort of try and think about a lot with exercise, um, particularly more and more um, now that I am starting to think of exercises a bit like drills, um, is that if you can find the exercise or like the, you know, some type of programming strategy that sort of most elegantly addresses an issue then that's the best way of going about it. And yep. so the white, like the bigger your toolbox is, the more you can say, oh, which tool sort of fits the job. Um, and yeah, I think I was I was lucky to have had a background in, you know, doing weightlifting, training for rugby, being like being trained by multiple people in not multiple places and also talking with lots of people who just do stuff differently to me and being able to say, why do you do that? And then just tinkering here and there and seeing, yeah, I guess what was good, what was bad. Mm. Um yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the the eight ways to be a better lifter thing because that's that's exactly what I'm getting at is a lot of the things that I've actually had a lot of success with with clients were inspired by stuff I saw people doing outside of powerlifting. Um, so yeah, I just think that's a that's a useful skill. Yeah, lots of stuff that um, Chris Brown and Glanville and other people at Willoughby would do that at the time I was like, oh, that's not really applicable to me and like I, I'm kind of shut myself off from even learning about it and to see you use it it was like oh hang on maybe there's something there well a good example for both of them so obviously the people who are less um less aware of willoughby fitness first wouldn't know either of them um so both both do a reasonable amount of mobility work um the former does a lot of acro training and the latter does a lot more of sort of like flow style um movement stuff both of them were able to give me some you know useful things like mobility drills um for powerlifters and brownie actually gave me some really really good tips at one stage when i was asking him about acro stuff for things like core activation and for you know lumbar pelvic positioning and stuff and obviously they do a lot more things with a rounded back and like you know protracted shoulders and stuff like that too but his cueing was really useful so it's just you know it's just cool things to learn and obviously like obviously they know stuff about things i don't know about and yeah it's a bit like going back to point one um you know they might know stuff about things you don't know anything about that pertains to the stuff that you do and you wouldn't know unless you dig and ask the questions yeah i learned a lot of good stuff about um foot pressure and arches and how that relates to the hip movement and all that kind of stuff from mark Mm. which i still still use and explain to this day yeah um yeah so i think anyway that's cool i just try and take that philosophy with everything um yeah yeah so yeah have an open mind and you know, you never know what you're going to learn from someone if you if you don't if you don't listen. I find it. I feel very self congratulatory when I'm like pondering the things that I do well, just out loud. Um, I'm just saying that so everybody knows that I feel like a toss up. But well, I feel good hearing about the things that I do well. <laughs> yeah, of course you do. It doesn't happen often. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, let's do it. Let's do it's another once, one on you. Once in 26 years. So, um, yeah. So this is an extension of of what I was saying with number one, which was using drills and practice as a supplement to technique work. So if you follow Alex on Instagram, which is almost certain, then you've probably seen his Tuesday training tips. 
and things like the deadlift lap drill and his anti-bench rowing drill. Um, there's a few more similar things you use, but but little drills like that, Alex has always been quite creative in thinking of ways of doing stuff like that to give people a feeling of what good feels like. And he was, um, he was probably the first person I was exposed to who... Um, who sort of said like, hey, here are some of the skills of doing the powerlifts. I'm just going to sort of slightly recontextualize them to give you a better idea of what it should feel like. And I don't know if that comes from like your sporting background or what. Um, but like it was, a, it was a good thing to see because it, it like related in my head to the way we would treat rugby skills where you sort of break them down before you put them into gameplay. Um, but yeah, I saw you doing that with powerlifting and I was like, oh, you know, that's a really elegant way to give somebody an idea of what good technique feels like because sometimes it's just a little bit too hard when you put it in the in the context of the lift itself. Um, so yeah, that's part one of this. I'll get on to part number two. But you know what I'm talking about, those drills you do? Yeah, the it's similar to what Jamie does at Strength Culture. It's the low threshold to high threshold environment learning, learning yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah and, and yeah, I, you're right. I did get that from from sport is like how you learn how to shoot a basketball stand under you stand under the hoop with and you shoot with one hand you don't don't have your support hand yeah. and that teaches you that your shooting hand does 100% of the work and your other hand is a support hand and then you gradually move it out and then you add in a second hand and all that kind of stuff so it's kind of like picking apart the movement and sort of i guess taking the little segments and then adding them all up to later so when I um when I was starting powerlifting coaching, I didn't think much about technique work, and then I'll get on to how I was thinking about technique work initially. But I didn't think much about technique work, even though I knew technique was important. I pretty much just gave people, you know, they had a squat session, and then if I was like they won't be recovered enough to do two hard squat sessions, I'd just give them a slightly less overloading squat variation, so something like a front squat with not much thought to what that would do in terms of teaching them how to squat. Um, and I would just make them do that. And I didn't really, yeah, I didn't think much about giving people stuff specifically for technical development. If their technique was bad, I just made their hard work slightly easier. And then you were you were often doing stuff where you so, sort of said like, here's your hard day, here's your technique day. And I think you might've learned that from TSA, actually mm-hmm. calling it like a technique day or a focus day or something. Yep. But you were doing things like that and then, incorporating drills and variations specifically to get people just doing the things that they do well and that was something i very much neglected because i thought oh if you just get strong practice squatting kinder and like just get jacked you'll be sweet um and yeah so that that was something that that i first sort of had to start thinking about when i was like why why my lifters not grasping technique i started thinking yeah i need to introduce it in sort of slightly easier ways then the next thing i started thinking of was an adaptation of the stuff I was exposed to in weightlifting. So I think it's Russian weightlifting. I wouldn't quote me on this. Um, one of the big schools of thinking was the pothole training system where you would get a complicated movement and segment it, which is why they do a lot of things like you know partial pulls or yeah whatever it happens to be. So like, yeah, a partial pull or a snatch from the knee or you train like just the middle segment of a lift or yeah, something. Like a snatch balance or something. Yeah, so stuff where it highlights just one small aspect of a more complicated skill. Because a complicated skill is thought to be a summation of all these other skills. And then you put that back into back into practice. A good weightlifting coach might be able to might be able to explain it better and there's probably nuance that I don't get. But I started thinking about that in terms of powerlifting as well, but it was a little bit simplistic. So I was like, oh if somebody's deadlift is 
bad at lockout, then if the problem's at the lockout, they should do deadlift lockouts and practice doing good deadlift lockouts and things like that. But even that was a little simplistic for the reason that you said um, about what Jamie said with the high and low threshold learning environments is sometimes you actually have to introduce a skill under yeah less challenging conditions and what you do very cleverly is yeah um, use a drill that actually highlights what that skill feels like and engender awareness in people which is why it relates to point one is you're actually trying to make the athlete competent at knowing when the skill is being performed well so that they can sort of self-correct and slowly get I don't know get towards doing it well all the time which is probably a much better method of teaching somebody than just just what I was doing which was like just throw them in the deep end and see yeah yeah um, yeah, that was number two. Cool. Well, that's good. Thank you. Oh, no worries. Um, <laughs> shortish episode. Do we need a break? Probably not. It's only nah. been like 15 minutes. A couple of people last night in uh, Powerlifting Club were telling me that we should stop having having intermission music. Why? Because the podcast will pause itself when you want it, when you stop listening to it. So, like, so we you don't need to break it up. Yeah, this discussion I mean, like I'm, I'm, I don't care. So whatever. Just I'm just saying what their opinion is. Well, we've had this discussion on air before, and I think it's good for us to have the intermission music here and there because it sort of lets people know, hey, we're done discussing this topic. Like this is a good time to take a break if you're going to have one. Mm. The intermission music only takes a few seconds, and it's also just part of our shtick. So and also, if we got to the point where we had advertising. It would be advertising during those times. Yeah, not at all that that's been anything we've been planning. Wink. Please send us money <laughs> yeah. for ads. Yeah, crust pizza, get in touch with me. Anyway, so that's why we won't be cutting the intermission music and also it's my chance to play guitar. So. All right, so here's some guitar. Weekly Weights. Welcome back. It's Weekly Weights, episode 43. In case anybody did actually take a break then, um, you can choose to pause the podcast, obviously, at any time. Hope you enjoyed your tea and Tim Tam. <laughs> um, was it Matt Cherry who said that? It was It was Matt Cherry and who? Jess and someone else. Jess Chalmers? Yeah, Jess and Johnny, I think. Oh, well, shout out to you guys. Fuck all of you. They're both competing next weekend, those two. Oh, Not really? Cherry, the other two. Yeah, good luck to both you guys. No good luck to Cherry. Um, <laughs> what's the hey man team Hayes 27 for 27 on the year that's actually no miss lifts good. no miss lifts this year I don't believe in not missing lifts if you don't miss lifts you haven't tried hard enough team Burke <laughs> where we miss lifts yeah exactly make 8 from 9 go out in a blaze of glory pulling for the win always so my number 3 was that you can miss lifts and um, still have <laughs> a good, good day yeah. <laughs> uh, no nah, anyway my third point um, third out of four was you taught me that leaving room for progression is a good idea. And this seems ridiculous to even say this because this is something that we hammer home all the time on the podcast. And I think I actually do this... I actually do things more conservatively than you do now. But it didn't used to be the case. Um, And I think this all started when we started training at Willoughby together... And I would ask you about your program and you would tell me about it. And then you'd say like, oh yeah, today I've got a top set um, with a rep range. Like I've got a set of one to five. Um, And you'd always say like, oh, I think I can do five. And I would always ask you like, well, why don't you just do five? 
without really an understanding of, you know, maybe those five won't be like quality or they won't be good reps and that kind of stuff. And you kind of explain that whole leaving reps for progression is the best idea and leaving room for progression so that you can do more next week and next week and next week um, is how you actually improve and not just making every single session as hard as you could possibly um, make it. And, you know, I guess the the thought of making every training session like a testing session versus a training session mm. was something that didn't really occur to me. Like, fuck, how long ago was that? F- five, six years ago? Fuck, it was a long time ago. Hey, must have been six years. Yeah. Um, actually, I have a couple of anecdotes about that. Um, the first being... What is the first? Oh, yeah. Um, the first being I was stuck with a three to five, a top set of three to five deadlifts at, I think, 230 kilos. Or, I actually think I remember this. Was it? Or maybe it was one to three. Uh, no, it would have been more than that. It was three to five at 230. I reckon I was stuck there for three solid months. So I'm imagine, still stuck there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but imagine it was like 12 to 14 weeks and I would go, I would usually do three loading weeks and a deload, sometimes four and a deload. And I would go like 220, 225, 230 or something like that or two or whatever it was, like 225, 230, 230, 230 in each loading block because I could never quite get past. Um, I can never quite hit the fifth rep. I'd always do like four at RP 10 and be pissed off that I couldn't hit the five. And then after a, after a few months of stalling there, I made the conscious decision of saying, okay, like all I want to do is hit 230 for five. So I'm going to, in week one, do 230 for three. In week two, do 230 for three. In week three, do 230 for four. And then see if I can hit five in week four. So I deliberately made myself wait. And I did the same back offset. So I literally did the same workout for four weeks running. And the only difference is I added a rep in the final two weeks. And then I hit 230 for five. And then I had my deload. And I just had this unbroken run of momentum after that doing pretty much the same thing just aiming to add load once to twice over the three or four weeks for another about four months until i ended up deadlifting 255 for three um before junior nationals in 2015 um and it was crazy but the but the thing that the thing that i had discovered in that moment and the same thing helped so much with my squat was yeah exactly that was aim to progress a little bit slower don't force the progression sort of earn the progression by actually doing what you're doing well and when you're ready to progress, that's when you add the stimulus, not not just because you might be able to heap a little bit more on. And it was crazy the dividend it paid me, like chalk and cheese. Mm. You know, literally 10% on my 5RM in like three or four months from okay to good. Yeah, and that just goes back to that point that we always mention, which is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Or doesn't mean that it'd be even be a good idea to even do it. Yeah. Um, but it was like, yeah, that was crazy. And... The other thing was was that it actually took me changing my mindset a little bit about training to make to like um, to make that decision because one of the things I really loved about the training I was doing at the time this was um, with Amir from Adonis who we had on episode two one of the things I loved about training was in my two or three sessions a week where I did have the variable range top set um, I loved that feeling of wanting to know what I could do. Um, and I actually think it's a I think in a lot of ways it's a really healthy mindset because it gets you excited about lifting weights and sort of competing a little bit as weird as that sounds like it's it's nice to be sort of like ready to go and actually like really try instead of being blase 
Um, but that, yeah, that strategic thinking took a, a bit more vision, I guess. It took me saying like, not not what do I want to see for myself today, but what do I want to see for myself in a few weeks and how can I like, how can I attack what I'm doing now with intent as opposed to just going in and just trying my hardest kind of for short-term gratification, you know? Mm. Um, and I went from having some amazing days and some really shit days to having a lot of consistently good days once I started doing that. Um, so yeah, that was cool. Do you have much more to say on that? Nope. Um, well, ironically, my my thing that I was going to say I'd observed from you was um, was to keep training easier for longer because as much as I'd made that discovery sorry I've got a bit of a cold as much as I'd made that discovery with my own training I still think I wrote a lot of my clients programs a little bit too hard and I also pushed pushed too hard too early in a lot of their progressions and something I've been able to observe particularly now that I work with Alex at Lyft um, of him is how many of the sets that his clients do are you know challenging but just quality and not particularly not particularly hard not particularly heavy and how late you often leave it to really push weights up in a peak um, to get people ready for competition and almost invariably people are sort of meeting or exceeding their expectations of themselves with that sort of later ramp up and continuation of easy training um, and that was something that initially was anathema to me. I always, I always thought training had to be in a pretty narrow band of quite hard, and that like you know five or six weeks out from competition, it needed to to be getting harder and heavier quite quickly. And particularly for your less qualified lifters, oftentimes three weeks out, the training's not even particularly hard. It's it's only in the last week or two that you start to sort of do those indicator sessions. Mm. Do you have much to add to that, or are you just gonna? Um, um yeah, I like to are on the side of caution and conservatism conservatism or conservatism no conservatism was good is that the right word yeah there's the conservatism of music in the city where people go to learn to play piano you can't. okay I didn't get you you're right <laughs> no the conservatorium is where they keep all the sea life and you can go and walk through it and <laughs> shut up dude <laughs> fuck it up no um, I can no I like to err on the side of conservatism with my lifters until the last few weeks and then I still write things as if they're going to be easy and then in my head, I don't tell them this, but in my head, if their top set is too easy, they do another one because I have an RPE in mind versus like a load that I would I would like them to hit. I'd like to see like a difficulty versus, yeah, just a load. So an example of this is um, last Friday, actually, Jess Chalmers, who we mentioned earlier. Shout out Jess again. She had her top set deadlift, which was single at 130, which was her previous comp max. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely smoked it. So we ended up doing 135. And it looked like halfway between probably like low end second attempt yeah. for a five kilo PB. With no, I haven't really pushed her that hard this block. And it was kind of just like a, all right, like you're ready for this. And now we've gone and pushed her goals from... 140 being lofty to now 140 being like the minimum third attempt yeah well that's cool i remember you actually used a really good term describing sessions um during a peak i'm not sure if this was on the podcast um but it was when you were talking about my peak for the strength fortresses you spoke about a couple of sessions being more indicator sessions yeah later in the peak so most of the stuff is just is just the work that you get through and then there's the one or two sessions that you choose to push a little bit harder 
get a gauge for where somebody is where it's really much more you're looking for a certain RPE as opposed to just get this work done well. Yeah. And you structure your peaks quite cleverly. This is something I'm trying to trying to think about more when I write stuff. You structure your peaks quite cleverly so that people are prepared for those indicator sessions so you actually get a good a good gauge of where they're at. So I, we definitely mentioned this on the podcast was when you wrote my program for the Strength Fortress, you actually flipped which of my squat and deadlift days was heavy and light in one week so that I'd have a little bit more rest leading into my heavier squat day so that you would get a good indication of where I was at. Yep. Um, and I think all that's really good practice, but it's it comes initially from saying, okay, I'm happy for people to just go in and do the work well and trust that that process will, will build their strength. Yeah. Um, another good anecdote about this was I trained with Brandon, our friend, um, earlier in the week and now powerlifting coach at Lyft. The man. The man, Brandon. And um, and he squatted, was it 205 at his last comp? Yeah. Yeah, um, squatted 205. A pretty good 205 too. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, and he had a top triple at something like 152 and then some sixes at 135. 57, yeah. 157 and 137, I think. Oh, you got a good, good memory? Something like that. I don't know what I... I didn't even squat that day, so that, that's how much I don't know about what I was doing. <laughs> um, But yeah, anyway, point is, those numbers sort of speak for themselves. So that's like... That was belted sixes at under seventy percent, like sixty six or sixty seven percent for him, and that was and like a top triple at what sub eighty percent. That's seventy five ish percent, but that was just sort of what the bulk of his work looked like, and he just got through it really well, and then went and hammered his accessories. And it, yeah, it might be a long time before those RPEs climb above five or six, but it's yeah. still enough to get people stronger. Yeah, that's it. But it's also his first week being reintroduced to low bar with a belt, so like you know we're gonna. Oh, I didn't know that. So we're going to start even lighter, and then it's going to. We got even more time to build into it. He's yeah. he's uh, think eleven weeks out or something. Junior, Junior nationals. nationals. Okay, um, it's good to know that that's eleven weeks away. <laughs> got a client or ten two. And a, ten and a half now, I think. Okay, good to know. Um, yeah, right. But but there's a good example, and it's um that comes back to something we have spoken about again on the podcast heaps, which is a way I think about it is like how long can I do productive work before that productive work has to like intersect with stuff that is truly difficult or PR territory with people. And the more you can prolong that and just get them better without necessarily grinding them into the floor, often the higher their peak ends up being. Mm. But that's something that was really informed to me by just watching lots and lots of people around me getting better and better doing work that was hard, but not like hard, hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this is even greater highlighted when like you train with someone in person. Mm. And you're able to like, you know, you can write a program for someone and it's, you know, 50, probably half the time it doesn't go to plan and you have to make some sort of adjustment on the fly. Yeah. But if you're with that person, you can make that adjustment as they go and then you can ensure that they hit the numbers that you want or hit, you hit the difficulty that you want versus like what you guessed four weeks ago, or what you guessed before the session started or that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's compounded. You say it's easier in person. It's compounded in difficulty with online clients often when they start with you mm. and their their reported training data often just doesn't quite align with what your expectations would be you yeah know, the amount of times i've had somebody say to me i can do whatever 100 for five and then i say sweet it, like start with 85 for five on say bench and it looks bad and i go wow that looks way too hard yeah how'd you do 100 for five yeah um never happens the other way around it's really annoying yeah the, uh, that that goes even more to my point like starting conservatively leaves you room for for growth and progression 
if you start without the room and something goes badly, you're like you're stuck. You have to go backwards. Yeah, people don't like going backwards. They love going forwards. Mm. And when people are going forwards and it's not even that hard, they think they're king of the world. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, or queen of the world. Mm. We're very inclusive at weekly weights. Um. <laughs> we're gonna do an episode on transgender athletes. We might do an episode on transgender athletes. Um, not right now. No. Um, <coughs> but yeah, we might do that. Um, that'd actually be a very interesting discussion. I wouldn't mind. Should we get Carl and Brian to to, <laughs> to discuss <fight>. it? <laughs> Televised weekly weights fight. Um, no, I was gonna say I actually think it would be good if we were gonna do that to get people who stand on either side of the argument not from like a philosophical standpoint from a scientific one um to yeah just to, to sit there and talk and interrogate both of them because um, mm-hmm. yeah anyway be interesting but no not right now i don't think we will cool. um if you want to hear us talk about that write to actually write to alex i'm on holidays next week i won't check it all right yeah all right um final thing i've wait it's your turn to say what you've learned from me this is the last one yeah and this is like the joke one Oh, I thought it was serious. What is it? Oh, okay, yeah, go. (laughs) (laughs) It was just billions and billions and billions of useless music facts. I... That I just literally couldn't give a fuck about (laughs) some band in the 70s and how they play in like a 3-4 time. I just don't care. I'm glad that you know what 3-4 time is. I did do music. You know, I played the trombone. What's common time? 4-4. What's cut common? Don't know. 2-4. It's been too long. (laughs) <laughs> um, I played trombone up till like really? year, year seven or eight and then I played guitar you were a tromboner I was a trombonist have you seen this is actually one of the funniest videos on YouTube it's the guy who puts his GoPro on his trombone facing oh himself. I have seen that it's so fun. funny yeah that's great <laughs> um, it's like one of the first GoPro videos was it? yeah yeah it's a really good one um, vintage I know lots of stuff about music I know, and I don't want to <laughs> know thought, any of it. I really thought you'd appreciate it. It's really good trivia. My problem is that I'm prompted so often when I'm standing at lift by just... We have very eclectic playlists. Well, I don't mind it when it's, like, relevant, but... How often is it relevant? Not often. <laughs> <laughs> so that means it's mostly shit. <laughs> yeah, that's probably fair enough. Um, so, my final thing... See, my one was actually kind, my final one for you. The last thing Alex has taught me that's very important is how good Fireball and Apple Juice is. Fuck, it's good. It's so good. It's um, so good. It's also had... I've had some of the worst nights of my life because of Fireball and Apple Juice because it's so drinkable. Was it because of Fireball and Apple Juice? Or was it because of your inability to resist Fireball and Apple Juice? No, chiefly because of Fireball and <laughs> Apple Juice. Um, you also made me try Fireball and Sugar Free Monster that time. Nah, that would have been that would have been vodka. No, it was definitely we had Fireball and Sugar Free Monster. I don't remember that. This was shortly after you and I entered Singledom, which you then abruptly exited, <laughs> completely dodged me, <laughs> <laughs> and and it was I think you, Benji, and I were going out, and we went. Or maybe you, Rob, and I were going out and we went via the Foxtrot and we had, you remember? And we had the espresso martinis at the Foxtrot, but before that, I had Sugar Free Monster and ah, Fireball. It was vodka, at your dude. House. It was definitely vodka it because you, brought, you brought a flask of vodka that we ended up having in our freezer for ages. Yeah, I didn't want to drink it. I just wanted to look like it I was, was going to drink it. It was definitely vodka and monster, which oh. is also good. 
Yeah, it's really good. But can you imagine, man? I was bouncing off the walls. Um, but anyway, yeah, Fireball and Apple Juice, delicious. What do you think of Sailor Jerry's? It's good. Not as good as Fireball. Um, it's more like... It's not as good as a shot. That's one of the great things about Fireball. It's as good as a shot. Like, just literally yeah. on its own. It's like the best shot. It's better than tequila. It's way better than vodka. It's one of the very few... I guess it's because it's spiced rum, but it's one of the very few rums that I can actually have. It's like cinnamon flavored. Yeah, I yeah. love cinnamon. So, like, you don't have to... Most shots, you have to, like, mix and, like, add stuff to them mm. to make them taste, like, half decent, whereas you can just smash Fireball just down the gullet. <laughs> I definitely... This is... <laughs> This is why it's bad because I definitely can't do that, and I haven't had a. I when like, you've got your shitty alcohol tolerance, it's yeah, like, that's it's a the bit issue. dangerous. I haven't had to puke from drinking much in my adult life. Actually, that's not true. I've puked from drinking a lot in my that's adult not true life. True, at all, dude. But the most recent time that I puked, it wasn't even a. I'm on the night out puke. It was a morning after standing oh, in the shower. The one. Perfect hip hinge, by the way, everybody, and it's puked straight down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> that was because of Fireball and Apple Juice. It was absolutely heinous. Um, anyway, great drink. If you haven't tried it, you should try it. Yes. One or two. Mm. Not too many. Yeah, that's it. That's a wrap. That's that's the best thing I've learned from Alex by a long way. <laughs> <laughs> um, any plans on what you're going to do next week? Uh, we're going to have Matt Bartholomew on. Ma- Matt Bartholomew on. Bartholomew. We're going to do 10 minutes on how he does his hair. And then about 40 minutes on his carb intake. <laughs> how he gets in fucking 900 grams so of carbs or whatever or it is. Whatever, doesn't he? I don't know. Does, how does Matt do his hair? I don't know. Tune in next week, find out. That's why we're going to have Does he have a on. pot or does he just spike up the front a bit? I don't know. Write to us, Matt. Tell us how you do your hair. I think it's like you're a sweep. A... Yeah, but if you sweep, you pot. Not necessarily. What, you're going to take all of your hair across from one side all the way to the other? That's like full-on emo fringe. Well, do I have a part? Not really. And mine, mine sweeps over. Look at me. You've got like a really low part. Yeah, but it's not like forced. Everyone has a part, but it's not like I'm combing it into a part type of thing, you know? Yeah, it's just a sweep. Mm. Yeah, but that's because you just got the proper douchey emo fringe. Just sweep thing. it in. <laughs> That's Will's favorite cue. It's a really good cue for. De- okay, I don't want to talk about anything to do with hair anymore. Oh, but I was talking about deadlifts. Yeah, oh, yeah, sweeping in. Very good cue for deadlifts. That's probably another thing you've learned from me. You like that one? You should have your Instagram handle sweep it in and sweep it over. <sighs> okay, I'm done. Um, it's weekly weights. <laughs> I'm Will. I'm out for a fortnight. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> I'm in a really weird mood. Bye.